And good morning, everybody. How are you? It is September 25th. We were supposed to be at the Emerald Spiral Fair, but it was canceled. Darn it. Anyway. So um, anyway, good morning, everybody. This is last Saturday of September, and uh, we have a special program on today. We have one of our musical Saturdays. It is on Johannes Brahms. And um, I picked that one, you know, I have to admit. So we, Michelangelo pick our certain ones, you know, he picks one, I pick one, something like that. So anyway, we picked him and he's got an interesting history. He's got an interesting chart. We're going to be looking at that too. And we'll be playing some of his music as well. So we're going to enjoy that. So uh, yeah, this morning we do have our guest, our wonderful guest from New York City. He's Michelangelo Nah. He he explained that to me. It's not nah, it's not applicable. <laughs> That's what it's because he doesn't actually have a last name with his last name. So anyway, he's an astrologer from New York and he's also has an extensive music background. And I do believe he I call him a musical scholar because he knows what he's doing. And he has a Mercury in Virgo, so that makes him one. So anyway, um yeah, this morning we're going to be doing, of course, doing the whole show on Johannes Brahms, which means we're going to be bringing him in as the celebrity of the week. We're going to be starting off with that, and then we're going to be going more into his life and his his astrological patterns, and we're going to be playing several of his pieces, part little partial pieces. Uh, and the last one, which is my favorite, which is the German Requiem. Uh, I've sung that twice. In my lifetime, I sang it once, my first choral piece that I did when I went to college. and was my very first choral piece that I went through, um, which when I joined a choir about 25 or so years later. So, um, yeah, and so um, that's the most beautiful piece in the planet as far as I'm concerned. We, we absolutely loved it. So, anyway, that's one of the reasons I picked him. So, anyway, let me just say this. We're going to have right now a break. And then we're going to come back and do the Astral Celebrity of the Week. And we'll be having Mr. Michelangelo on with us to do that. Okay? Okay. So, this is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. Going against the grain has never been this much fun. Alternative Talk 1150. Oh, how lovely was that? I like that. Anyway, so let me bring on our guest. It is the Astral Celebrity of the Week. And let me bring on our guest, Mr. Michelangelo. How are you, sir? Hi, Eileen. How are you doing today? I'm good. You look nice and comfortable. Yep, I'm ensconced in my... uh bedroom portable office oh that's moment. sweet <laughs> <laughs> we like that when we have them in a, i have my office in my general house which is yeah. a studio apartment so it's all one room so yeah. anyway let's talk about brahms his birthday is in case anybody is interested for his birth data it's may 7th 1833 at 330 a.m a license uh, lmt and then it's, he was born in hamburg germany so Let's talk a little bit about him. I'll talk about his little peculiars here. He's this Taurus sun with an Aries rising with Sagittarius moon. So a lot of fire there. But let's talk. Yes. About, yes let's talk about some of the qualities that really stood out for you, Michelangelo. Well, you know, I have the things that I, I key in on. Two out-of-bounds planets, Eileen, both uh, Venus and Mars. You know, and of course, Brahms was a virtuoso pianist. He yes. uh obviously wrote a great great many works for the piano and and premiered many of them himself and uh i see that that blending of those two out of bounds uh venus and mars is very much relating i mean they relate to a lot of things obviously archetypally but speaking as a pianist myself you know i see the optimal way that one plays the piano as a, a blending of those two it is essentially a percussive instrument there's the mars but right 
in order to elicit what we really find so wonderful about the piano. The, the uh, performer has to, you know, create this illusion of a seamless legato. And there's the, right. the melody that we associate with Venus. So you have an interesting blending of the two. Uh, that's the first thing I noticed. And you mentioned his Venus is out of bounds, right? Yep, yep. Both See, Venus I, and Mars. I, I never checked that out, but I, I kind of just learned what that was recently. So tell us what that is. I'm not going to say it because I'm not sure if it's right. So Well, um, normally when we talk about... Uh, planetary positions, we're talking about longitude, right? Okay. We're talking about their, their, their distance along the, um, you know, what do we call it? The ecliptic, ecliptic right? Right. which is the, the paths, the sun's apparent path through the heavens. But they also have, you know, distance above and below that horizon, right, uh, right. which is their latitude. And once uh, any planet becomes in, in excess of the normal, uh, path of the ecliptic which i think is something like 2330 either yes that's, you know, right. Uh, that's right they become extreme in declination and the people that have written about it extensively in the last century believe that we see in these things you know in the same way we would see a, a planet that's uh you know unaspected or something of that nature these right. planets become free agents right. and they're right. no longer constrained by you know conditions of uh you know the niceties of, of social uh, yeah. norms or the the parameters which are established for a given art form all these types right. of things so often with a single planet we associate that with a particular genius but certainly with a, with a couple we can extend that as well and so we see that very vividly with brahms right exactly and you know he does have his venus retrograde yep which is interesting you know, and Venus does not go retrograde that much. And I generally, when I'm looking at a chart first time, that pops out at me, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. absolutely. Uh, my yeah. mother had Venus retrograde, and yeah. she was an amazing portrait painter. She was oh, very artistic, extremely yeah. artistic. And she was a Taurus, too. So. Uh -huh. And so how would you interpret that in terms of, of her her abilities in art? Do you think more... Uh you know, more, uh, what's the word I would use? A deeper inner motivation or a... Um, I think it was more, ease. Uh, ease, oh, that's Yeah, ease. She, and I, you know, I remember when she was painting when I was a little girl, and mm -hmm. it seemed to me that, I, I don't really know that much about her history, how she learned, but she just, she, I would, I would used to go around her art class. I used to go with her to her art class on Saturdays. And they were painting yeah. portraits of people. That's what she did. She painted portraits. And I'd walk around the room and I'd look at everybody else's painting. And then I'd go look at my mother's. My mother's looked exactly like the person sitting there. I mean, there uh -huh. was absolutely, it was like a snapshot of looking at a person. Everybody else mm -hmm. kind of was, you know, on the boundaries of making the person look like they usually do. But she yeah. was so accurate and she painted with such an awareness of color. You know, and uh, she found the right colors to go in the background. And, and she, I have a painting of my grandmother that she did. It was yeah. just ex just amazing. It was just representative of the person right there. That was her gift. And she never yeah. had to work at it that hard. I really don't think she did, you know. So, so less outer directed effort on technique or yeah. on, on, on a, an obsession with technique. And it more was just ease a, and it was natural. a seamless flow of energy from yeah. the... She was natural the at it. Subconscious. She did. Yeah. And she yeah. taught me about color analysis, you know, oh, doing color analysis with people, you know, seeing what, you know, oh, colors yeah, yeah, they should yeah. wear. She did that for me. You oh. know, she she would take me to an appointment she had one time for a color analysis for her. And they mm -hmm. were putting together a swatch packet for her and all that. And I, I mean, yeah. I just absorbed it, you know, oh, I, just, I loved it. And then I went on to do it myself, you know, and neat. I never got trained in it, by the way. You know, I'm a winter. <laughs> Nobody ever trained me how to do it. I just knew how to do it, you know, but I, yeah. I got the benefit from my mother, you know, and her awareness of color, how she paired colors together. That was, yeah. and she had Venus retrograde. So did she, uh, did she see auras or uh, do do any of that, uh, esoteric stuff or is it, do you think it's just, uh, I, it was there, but maybe she wasn't aware of it. She may have, but. She never told me about it, but she was very interested in the metaphysics. She started oh, okay, studying great. astrology a little bit before she died, you know. Oh, and um, yeah. it, and it was funny because she um, 
she really wasn't that aware of it. But, you know, she she was always she by the way, she was a painter, too, obviously. Yeah. yeah she yeah. painted, you know, portraits and all that stuff, too. But her eye was so accurate. It could see perfectly, you know, and I found myself comparing myself to her, you know, when I was growing up because she was just so excellent at it, yeah. you know. So, um, Great. yeah. Yeah. So. I, I kind of interesting because, you know, him being a Taurus and Venus, yeah. the ruling planet of Taurus, is in retrograde. I thought, yeah. well, that, boom, that's a stamp right there that says artistic ability is very strong. Yeah, to me, it also spells uh, uh, frustration in the relate in the area of relationship. Oh, unfulfilled, oh we unfulfilled relationship. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> My word. When I read about the stuff that he, well, not did, but his habits and all that. Kind of, I want to talk about yeah. that. I'm going sure. to take a break right now because I want to talk about that after the break. I want a good, a good significant amount of time to talk about it because sure. it really, um, I think so, it was almost the cornerstone of his life in some ways. So. Oh, most assuredly. Very interesting aspect of his biography yes. i think yes yeah. yes okay so we're going to take a break right now and when we get back we're going to be talking more about brahms this time is proud his probably about his sex life okay well no but you know his relationship <laughs> stuff so we'll be right back with this uh with this after the break on the jupiter rising show right here on kknw alternative talk radio <laughs> This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to New Pro Supplements, we cover the world of animals. This week, September 26th, it's Positive Talk with Kevin McDonald, educating, entertaining, and uplifting the human animal on Animal World. This week, Kevin's guests include Paul Draper, a comedy presenter, and Linda Levin, a call-me-a-woman author. Hope you can join them for Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Working hard to put a smile on your face. Alternative Talk 1150. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, when I listened to that a couple of days ago, I had it on YouTube and my sound system sounded so bad that I couldn't hear all the depth of that music. And I just, as soon as it started, I just went, oh, oh. Love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. And welcome yeah, and back to... Well, well, go, ahead. go ahead. Uh, no, no, no. You I say that's one of my favorite piano pieces. Oh, uh, it's just that, exquisite. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, my yeah, gosh. I, I love it. You could yeah. actually feel him breathing through that, the pianist. Yeah. You could feel yeah. just beautiful. That's yeah. Brahms for you, kids. By the yeah, way, I heard... Go ahead, Annie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, what did you say? Yeah. I just got excited about that because it, it's, all right. Go ahead. it's just gorgeous. <laughs> oh, my God. I get, I'm get. i so moved by music. I, I can't even tell you. It just makes me crazy. But I remember something. I remember talking to somebody. It might have been even my former stepmother who said, um, no woman should ever, ever, ever sing Brahms until she's 40 years old. Okay, I hadn't heard that, but I, I can believe it. I agree. Yeah, I really do agree. And I've sung a fair amount of Brahms. And um, the one I've done is von Ewiger Liebe, which is one of the most dramatic sort of Lear that he's done. I don't have that here today, but mm -hmm. um, I did it when I was in my early 20s. I mean, I liked it, but now I really appreciate it, you know, yeah. when I hear it. So, yeah, you have to be kind of older. Well, not older, but more mature to really get his music, I think, you know, and yeah. I'm not saying that excludes all you people out there that are 25 and under. No, it it's just has a, has a breadth and warmth to it. That's just unbelievable. So, okay. Yeah. All right. So we were going to talk about Brahms and speaking of warmth, <laughs> what a segue anyway. So we're going to be talking a little bit about his relationship patterns and I'll, you can start, with this. Well, apropos of that, I, wanna, I wanted to mention one other outstanding characteristic that I noticed just as we were beginning to talk, which is he has uh, stationary Neptune. <gasps> he does. I missed that. Yeah, oh, my at, gosh. At the anoretic 29th degree, you know, Capricorn, <clears throat> so kind of poised between Capricorn and Aquarius. And, okay. of course, it's, uh, it's trying that retrograde Venus. So oh, I think sure. that also 
tells us a, a great deal about his. Um, his so when you look at ahead. his stationary chart, when did it go retrograde or stationary? Oh, that, I, that, that I'd have to check. I didn't I, look I didn't, that yet, but. I don't have an ephemeris that far back, but I do have one on the computer that goes that far back. But yeah. I'll have to look at that. But that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. No. Well, apropos of the discussion we had with your mother, I often wonder whether whether people such as Brahms, for example, with Neptune retrograde. I mean, I always associate Neptune retrograde with some sort of karmic uh, uh, burden about psychic ability. You know, okay. and of course we. You know, you wonder whether someone like this, who obviously was so deeply intuitive on so many levels, whether yeah. he would have had an awareness of that. But that's a bit. I off mean, that's topic. probably true. I have Neptune retrograde right on my fourth house cusp. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes to all those questions. You know. Yeah. I, it makes total sense to me. Yeah, but that Venus Neptune certainly tells us a lot. I think about his relationship with Clara Schumann. Yes, it kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's such an interesting story because, of course, he met both Clara and Robert when he was only 20. Yeah. And uh, Robert was already in the, at least not quite, but I think almost in the throes of the madness that eventually made it impossible for him to compose. And, you know, at one point he tried to drown himself. And then, of course, he, yeah. he died not long thereafter. He had dementia, didn't he? Uh, well, or something. Well, he had that um, peculiar th sensation of a, a constant musical tone, and you know, uh, oh. the people said, "Oh, it was a four forty or whatever." But it, I think in this day and age, we would say he probably had some kind of inflammation on the brain from tertiary syphilis. Oh, and, oh, and, oh! And he went, you know, because a lot of modern thinking says that tinnitus can be caused by inflammation. I was going to say tinnitus. Yeah, it would be yeah, part, yeah. but he had syphilis, yeah. huh? Yeah, tertiary syphilis, yeah. yeah That's what they think. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you. <laughs> it teaches you a lot about uh, being true to the person you're with. But Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, kind of does. And certainly with that with that stationary Neptune that is Venus, Brahms I think exemplified that to a remarkable degree because even though nobody really knows as I know you're probably aware, I mean whether his fascination with Clara, who hmm. became a, a, a real champion of his music, as well as her, right. her, her her late husband's eventually, nobody really knows whether it might have crossed the border into physical intimacy. Yeah. And uh, I kind of think it did, uh, based on some of, some of the research that I did in connection with well, an essay that I wrote about Robert Schumann. Uh, you know, I but, tend to agree with that, because yeah. uh, it was said in, in Wikipedia that he had a very intense, platonic, deeply emotional relationship. Where I said, well, if there's no sex in there, there's got to be a reason why, you know, yeah. because that's going to be a part of the experience of that merging is the sexual yeah. experience. And looking at his Pluto squaring his Mars, you know, come on. You know, there yeah. has to be that drive there, you know, and, um, and, and, and you know, we sort of see him all, all, all the time as this, this big guy with this big beard, you know, but when yeah. you look at pictures of him when he was young, he was very handsome. He was very handsome. Yeah. And uh, not terribly tall, no. like Wagner, interesting enough, but, but very handsome. And you sort of think now Clara would, yeah, well, maybe she, I don't think, Again, we could debate whether the relationship with Robert was truly a love match, <clears throat> at least on her part. Right. I think on Robert's it was, but on her part, maybe not so much. So here, here this young, good-looking guy shows up with this amazing music. And I, if I remember correctly, the day that he arrived, Robert wasn't home. Oh. So he, he uh, introduced himself to Clara. And then, of course, later he played his music for him. And yeah. Robert was tremendously impressed. He wrote an article, you know, about about how he thought that Brahms was, as I've got a quote here, fated to give expression to the times in the highest and most ideal manner in the Neue Zeitschrift für Musik, not long thereafter. So obviously he made a tremendous impression on both of them. And yeah. uh, I rather suspect that it may have been rather more than platonic. Yeah, um, I think she had a huge crush on him too, to say the least. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, you're taking all of your emotional needs and you're projecting it onto somebody who is the archetypal person who comes walking in the door with the talent and they're all yeah. geared, so geared, geared into music, Clara and Robert, 
that, yeah, yeah. you know, he walks in and it's like, you know, God walking in the room on some level. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The other thing I'll mention from an astrological perspective is during that year, mm -hmm. he had, uh, what was it? Uh, solar arc Venus to Saturn by square. But on the day that they met, yeah. he had an exact conjunction of Saturn with Venus. Transiting Saturn was right on Venus. To the so minute? again, that tells us, uh, not to the minute, but partile square. Okay. Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So that meant it made an impression on both of them that it would yeah. be something long-term at some point. Yeah, exactly. But it's also the person showing up in the physical form, you know, yeah. their Absolutely. ideals, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, that just makes total sense, you know. And I, I'm kind of, I think... Um, Unfortunately, he had a kind of weird side when it came to sexuality. Did you read about that? Um, he no, never he made, he never went, never slept with a, a high class person. He always went with prostitutes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. And, and part of, I don't know what the part of it was, but he felt like he had to dominate a woman. So he was a, dom a dominant and with a Pluto Mars, I can see that. So, yeah. uh, and um, that, he, um, if anybody talked more than him or talked over him, that's something he completely couldn't stand. He was very, very, very self-abnegating. You know, he really didn't think he did that well. But then when he yeah. did, he would flip-flop between the extremes. You know, I didn't do it that well, but it was wonderful. God loved it, you know, type of thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was flipping, flopping between two points of view and, you know, half yeah. the time. And he was actually had a very funny sense of humor, too, you know, with some mm -hmm. of his quotes. That he, I didn't write any of them down, but, you know, with the moon in Sagittarius, I could see that. So, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. yeah, and Mercury trying the moon, that makes sense. Oh, yeah. that'll do it, too. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, and he did the courting. You know, if a woman, mm -hmm. you know, showed any initiative towards him, he wouldn't pursue her. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of quirky stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. It's kind of odd, but you know, uh, eventually he, um, when he he came to know Clara Schumann, that was that was the woman for him, you know. Yeah. And when she died, he went downhill. Boom, really quick after yeah. that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and again, just in <laughs> keeping with the whole idea of the Venus Saturn context that were there. After Robert died, yeah. he basically took care of the Schumann household and the kids so that Clara could continue her concert career. Right, right. I mean, that's a pretty extraordinary thing for a man of 21 years I of know. age to, to do. I mean, really amazing. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, uh, you look at his Saturn over there at, at the point, you know, at a point between, at between two sextiles as a yod. You know, yeah, you, got, you yeah. have Neptune, you have um, Jupiter and, and Mercury. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of like, oh, that's the point in which he's going towards, you know, the yeah. point of God point, point of thing. So, you know, yeah. he's responsible. You yeah. know, he was very responsible for the whole family. You know, he took on that yeah. mantle early on, too. You know, yeah. so, I mean, it was almost like he was married to her. You know, it really was. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean... They they always talk about in a lot of literature Clara and Sh Clara and uh, Johannes together, you know. Yeah. Was, and he did she did make a difference in his composing. He composed a lot of things for her too. I think also oh here's one other thing that I was wondering was she yeah. um, a contralto or alto because he wrote a lot of stuff for lower voice. I don't recall reading anything about her singing, but but that yeah. doesn't mean that she maybe didn't anyway. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, because yeah. he wrote things for, for contraltos and mezzo-sopranos for his leader. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I might attribute that as well to the elevated moon, you know, just the uh, the mother archetype being very dominant. Okay, that makes sense. Um, in one way. Um, and, and also, you know, I, I, his mother... He was very, very upset when she died. He didn't, he yeah. didn't marry, uh, he said he would not marry until after she died, type of thing. And... Um, I always got the impression he got, he was, she died when he was younger. No, he didn't. He died when he was older. But yeah. um, his, his mother, he was very attached to his mother. And I have to yeah. wonder with that Mars there in the fourth house, could have been some anger there too, you know, what, yeah. what he was upset about with her, 
you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah I, yeah, I I really don't know. I didn't find anything in, in what I read to say anything about that, but he probably felt controlled by her with that Pluto square. Yeah. And the sexual energy around that would imply that, I don't know if we could say this, Brahms would probably say no way if he was here right now, that there yeah. could have been sort of some sort of sexual energy around her, and he picked up on it. So. Yeah, well, that's often the case with Moon Pluto. I mean, I yeah. I do a lot of work in my own uh, delineations with with this Hades Moon configuration, and often, you know, the Moon Pluto men. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but often there is some kind of um, they're held in thrall by their mothers to a certain extent, and as a consequence, they they can never really authentically connect with a woman often until the mother is dead yes. and often not even after that. So yeah. his reaction to her death, of course, an, an amazing work ensued. We can't, uh, yeah. can't blame the fates for that, but yeah. would be consistent with that. You know, yeah. people like, for example, Elvis Presley was a, very much a Hades moon. Yeah. You know, yeah, he, he tried to throw himself in his mother's grave. Harry Houdini, another one, he did much the same thing there. Yeah. There's a, if there is an actual physical incest, there's often psychological incest of a Absolutely. very high degree. Absolutely. And so maybe that was the case with yeah, Brahms. That might have accounted to him for him being attracted to Clara, who was yes, a bit she older. was older, wasn't she? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. A lot yeah. of years. 14 years old, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that makes perfect sense, you know. So and that's one one half of a Saturn cycle, too. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So anyway, we got to take another break right now, and we'll be right back with Michelangelo. We're going to talk some more about Michael or Johannes Brahms, and uh, you know, he's just pretty interesting when you get down to it. So we'll be right back after this message. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. That was lovely little ditty, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, the, Lieb, the Liebeslieder-Walzer. Yes, yes. Opus 52, gorgeous. Yeah. I certainly performed in those um, at one point in college. Oh, you lovely. did? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, wonderful. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It, seems, it seems sort of lightweight for him, but... It's, yeah, yeah. It, it really is sweet. There's a sweetness to it. Yeah. 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 That's very cool. So, okay. So let's go on and let's see what else we're going to be talking about here. So you mentioned that Neptune is stationary. Dang, I wish I'd caught that. But, you know, with my stationary yeah. planets, I'll probably end up writing about him for, for the book. So, oh, yeah, I mean, he would be a good one. I mean, he, um, yeah, his music is just so exquisitely beautiful. And um, he did connect with other people, other other um, musicians. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And really, it was well connected when you really look at that. I mean, he met Wagner. He met, you know, all these people sure. right around the same. He was considered a romantic composer, which is yeah. fairly obvious when you hear his music. But, you know, so what other things do you want to mention well, I think it's interesting that we have that that Yod figure with Saturn because, yes. of course, um, that I think shows us that there's a, a, again, there's an element of destiny involved with adherence to tradition. I mean, uh, Brahms was very, very much a devotee of earlier composers like Bach. I mean, his, yes. his mastery of counterpoint, you know, certainly sets him apart from a lot of other composers. Uh, and that, of course, that puts Capricorn on his midheaven, which says to us to a certain extent that he's going to be a little bit of a late bloomer, even obviously, though he was quite precocious, but he really yeah. didn't uh, have a major success until his second upper Saturn square at age 35. Okay. When, yeah. uh, when he, uh, what was it here that he did? Oh, I think it was the Requiem, you know, after the death yeah, of his mother. I know. He re that really, really hit a nerve when that came yeah. out. And how yeah. old was he when he wrote that? 38? 
35. 35. Okay, there's a Saturn thing right there. You know. Yeah, and of course, Saturn would have been more or less within orb of transiting conjunction with the moon at that time. So that oh. also, I think, uh, oh, right. gives us a bit more incl inkling as to his motivations in writing the work. Of course, Saturn is traditionally death anyway. So Yes, but, right. Uh, but also Brahms, and whether he would have wanted to or not, ended up sort of being, you know, diametrically opposed in people's minds to Wagner. Yeah. You know, even though their relations were fairly cordial least initially he became the bastion of all things traditional as opposed to the you know the dangerously innovative uh trends that were started by wagner in pieces like tristan and isolde right. and uh and and both of them of course you know exerted tremendous influence down through the decades after their their passing and yeah. the whole uh in the 19th century basically if you wanted to be a composer in the uk you had to be a Brahmsian. And they only began to throw off that influence, you know, some of the younger composers in the early part of the 20th century. Right. Um, so, so we had a cast a very long shadow, whether he would have wanted to or not. And of course, I think. I think again, he was think much more famous than most people realize, you know, oh, yeah. in his mind, not sure if he really felt that. Yeah. But his, his reach really, re really reached a lot of people, a yeah. lot of people, especially after the Requiem came out. Yeah. yeah. Well, he had remarkable perfectionist tendencies, and of course, I think that's Saturn and Virgo. Yeah, that would make sense with that in their sixth house. Yeah, that yeah. would. Yeah. 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 In the in the Virgo house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of couldn't get Absolutely. away from that, you know. Like he was a very yeah. always kind of critiquing his own work quite a bit, you know. Yeah, and I and as I look at it now, I see the Sun Chiron, and that also speaks. To quite eloquently to that i think okay you know, the, yeah that makes sense the, too despite yeah. his accomplishment there's always this nagging um yeah doubt yeah, yeah. always sure yeah and um it was sad that he had that but you know actually that made him a better musician you know and, yeah, and I, think so. I think when he was a little kid um his parents really loved his music except that he always wanted to compose and they drove him crazy when he did yeah that. Yeah, I'm mean, so composing, you know, <laughs> yeah, one of his, his first teachers complained. He said he'd be a really good pianist if he just stopped composing. Yes, right. So, so very precocious in that regard, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, which yeah. is, you know, often and, the case. You know, but, that makes sense with his Uranus Sun Square. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about that because, I mean, I, I'm reading in between all, every line that I'm reading in this this article on on YouTube, or Wikipedia that he was yeah. such a rebel, you know, yeah. and he was even a rebel with his way he looked when he got older. He said, mm -hmm. well, I've reached a certain point. I'm going to grow a beard. Yep. I mean, a long <laughs> beard and his clothes. He looked like he was he was drug in off the street is being held together by bobby bobby pins or safety pins you know yeah, yeah just kind of a slob but you and know. then he introduced himself to his friends as somebody else <laughs> i don't know if you i don't know if you caught that but uh <laughs> he said oh i'm harris so-and-so and, -so. and they right. only a little bit later they figured out it was him because yeah. again if you look at the pictures of him as a young man yeah and then the ones we normally associate with him you would not know that that handsome face was hiding under that no, bushy beard, you, you know. Um, yeah. No. So it's very interesting. Yeah, he loved practical <laughs> jokes. That's what I read. You know, he loved yeah. playing practical jokes on people. Yeah. You know, so um, he's just, uh, how tall? He was short, you said. How tall was he? Yeah. Oh, I'd have to look, but I don't I don't think he was terribly tall. No, okay. Yeah, five, five, I was five, wondering about that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that is kind of short. But, um, yeah, I was... I just thought, well, he's just, he's a bit of a rebel, obviously. He did his own thing with it, you know. Mm -hmm. He broke into new areas, you know, from that, not wanting to copy everybody else. But he did copy the people that he really liked, like Schumann, you know. And he played oh, yeah. variations of themes, you know, by certain composers at, at various concerts that he was doing, you know. Yeah. And so, I mean, he was kind of a mixed bag, you know, because usually it's one or the other. You don't do both, you know. Yeah, he actually wrote a, a, a series of variations on a theme of Schumann in 1854, which he dedicated to Clara. Okay, yes. And and then when he met Wagner, he played his variations on a theme of Handel for Wagner, which Wagner was quite impressed with, at, at yeah. least at the time. You know, so, Wagner um, insulted him later on. Yeah. 
Well, again, I think that probably had a lot to do with the fact that the the, the critical establishment seemed to want to pit them against each other. Yeah, you know, uh, right. And uh, and I, you know, people might at least historically have regarded Brahms as a traditionalist, and I think that Saturnian influence certainly shows us that he anything he was going to do was going to be rooted in his perception of tradition. Right. And uh, I mean, with an elevated Saturn myself, I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, but he probably in, is as innovative in, in, in a variety of ways as he was a traditionalist, you know, and it, latterly, I think we've begun to understand that, mm -hmm. but you can't really, you know, when you put him up against the, the gentleman who wrote, you know, the, Tristan and Isolde, then obviously he is much more, traditional in his regard and even yeah. Schumann he was obviously a champion yeah. of Schumann after yeah. he died Schumann also was held up as a counterbalance to the seemingly you know corrupting influence of Wagner with his right you know abandonment of tonality and all the other things that he well, did kinda, so, he broke through to new levels of everything you know yeah. oh, no, I mean everything he, you're looking at I think Brahms perhaps was towards the end of the romantic movement I don't know but yeah. um he actually has some elements of not Wagner but some abstractions in there you know the uh, chords that you don't think are going to come along and do you know sure, sure you know and so there is some of that sort of breaking away he did feel at some point that he didn't want to do the same thing over the over and over and over again but he did his tonality of some of his music was interesting you know yeah, yeah, you know yeah. and and then, like literally, I don't know, right after, but Wagner came in the back door there, and that's that was when it all broke free, you know, mm -hmm. when he did that. So, yeah, yeah Brahms is also very interesting in his rhythmic structures, and oh. uh, some people say that his early exposure to uh, gypsy music through his friend yeah, Remenyi uh, freed him from sort of uh, two square types of rhythms. He right. used hemiola a great deal, and um, you know, okay. and obviously his, his mastery of counterpoint made it possible for him to do all sorts of things from a rhythmic perspective. But Interesting. Again, and I think any composer worth their salt, you you don't want to repeat the same thing. No. You do want to continue you to you evolve. You want to continue, yeah. You know, your your ear becomes attuned to different things. and uh, Yeah, I, I was thinking about the rhythms there. So he didn't actually, he didn't do stuff like odd beats, did he? Like five, four time. He didn't do I that. I can't recall seeing any irregular meters, but as I said, he used hemiola a great deal where you have a, 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 a melodic or thematic structure that's three in a prevailing rhythm of two okay. and often extremely, um, what's the word I would use? Subtle, you know, but but definitely there. And uh, so this, again, frees him from the, the restrictions of the bar line, makes things much more fluid. And, right. Uh, yeah, very, very, very interesting. Yeah, the, the undercurrent of his music is so romantic. I mean, it just has yeah. that soft and gentle quality to it. But then on top of that, there's a lot of drama, that kind of stuff. And then yeah, kind yeah. of all I mixed mean, he, together. Yeah, he composed in all the major genres except opera. Yes. Uh, looks to me I think like, he would have yeah. done a great opera myself. I yeah, think it would have been yeah. good. But he guess he wasn't moved to do that. So Well, and again, you know, at that point to... For him to want to write an opera puts him right in Wagner's wheelhouse, and oh, maybe on some level point. he might have been a little reluctant to do that. Yeah, that's uh, a very good point. Yeah, um, of course he did more than his share of vocal music. Oh yeah, yeah, his leader and also his chorals, chorales. Yeah, and uh, yeah. of course his final one, which is the Brahms German Requiem, which yeah. to me is such a masterwork. Uh, you know, Michelangelo, when I first went into my first choir rehearsal in college. We sat down and we were going to do this piece called Brahms Requiem that had no idea what it was like. And I remember singing through the first piece. And I tell you, most everybody in that class was crying. You mm -hmm. know, we were so yeah. moved by it. You know, just the first piece, you know. Yeah. And, of course, it goes on and it's so exquisitely, so exquisitely beautiful. I mean, there's a Mozart Requiem, which is very not quite as as heartwarming as the Brahms Requiem is. but Different era. Diff yeah, that's very true. Classic versus romantic. So, yeah. I mean, the um, I am absolutely fell in love with it. And then I did it the second time. I was asked to join this choir. And he says, well, what are you going to do? He says, oh, they're going to do the Brahms Requiem. And I said, I'm in. 
I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> Don't even have to think twice about that. You yeah. know, my goodness. Uh, you know, yeah. to be able to do that 20 some years later when, you know, I reached a level of maturity with my music so I could really yeah. appreciate it then, you know. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and we're going to hear that actually right after this break. So, Anyway, we're going to take a break right now. This is the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. Oh, and I have a live read. Thank you very much. Okay. Oh, I forgot I had one. Okay, sorry. This is a live read for Susan Bergstrom of the Medicare Exchange. Susan Bergstrom is a licensed agent in Washington and Oregon, helping people obtain security in their lives by providing insurance that pays for final expenses and money for transitioning after a loved one dies. Oops, let's turn the page. Okay, oh, geez. Okay, so anyway. Okay, so we have this coming up, the open enrollment on October 15th for Warren Nathan's cracking up. I just took a whole big chunk out of this. Open enrollment starts on October 15th and ends December 7th for your medical care coverage. That's when you are, after you come into being 65 and um, you need to have medical coverage in addition to Medicare. And so she can help you with that process. And so uh, she's still helping people that are turning 65 coordinate their coverage and retirement. So call Susan today if you need some assistance at Susan Bergstrom at the Medicare Exchange. Her number is 253-318-9379 for an appointment or write to her at sbergstrom at americanseniorbenefits.com. This is Eileen Grimes of the Jupiter Rising Show, and did you know that I do private astrological readings? If you have issues or problems in your life that plague you, perhaps an astrological reading would be just the ticket. I've had more than 30 years' experience in astrology, and there isn't much I haven't seen, so I know I can help you. You can contact me at 206-816-0546 or go to EileenGrimes.com to make an appointment. Thank you very much, and I'll see you soon. Self-help, healing, spirituality, and more on Alternative Talk, 1150. Oh, and that was another beauty. That is the beginning movement of the Brahms Requiem. I know it very well. I almost started singing with it here, but I didn't. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> you sang it too, huh? In the chorus, yeah. Oh, when good. I was in, uh, yeah, me in, too. In, I mean, no, no tenor solo in that, so I have, I have That's obviously true. performed as a soloist. But uh, there is a mezzo solo, I believe, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, of course and, there. And is. baritone, yeah. And a baritone, yeah. Um, yeah. That was the 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 real piece that broke him out of everything from the past, and yeah, yeah and really he <clears throat> became worldwide at that point. Everybody knew who he was, and um, what better piece than that i mean it's just i mean that's the first movement kids but gets better from there so um yeah so let's talk some more about he's got pluto just above his ascendant yeah this amount of power there isn't there yeah 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 and it's in it's in what uh we might refer to as one of the gokulam vocational zones even though pluto doesn't have a vocational imperative per se, but it, a lot of people think that that area is really one of the most potent of, of the horoscope, even though it's in the 12th. Right. You know, theory, it's it's not available to the conscious mind and it's, you know. Okay. But, but yeah, I mean, um, but certainly, you know, if, if there were a vocational planet there, we would consider it to be fairly potent. And I say Pluto working behind the scenes, you know, uh, clearly a great deal of passion and uh, yeah conviction you know interesting uh, interesting i never knew that about the 12th house what you just told me yeah, um yeah. i always kind of like well you shove shove it over in a corner and pretend it doesn't exist and <laughs> 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 no not really unless you got five or ten planets in there you know yeah. but um it, it to me is sort of an afterthought but it isn't obviously because you're talking about it about talents and abilities that come from the intuitive place just kind of float up to the top of the bowl and yeah. they likely would uh, create opportunities, employment opportunities for the person who has that. Don't you think? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the Gokul eyes, you know, you know about the Mars effect, of course, Eileen, right? The, uh, the uh, Francois Michel Gokulin, they, they were French <clears throat> scientists, I think, who set out to disprove astrology and found that they couldn't because they discovered that athletes, uh, people born with Mars in a certain part of the horoscope often proved to be highly accomplished professional athletes. That's, that's right. That's known as, yeah. And so the, the, what they identified certain <clears throat> sectors of the horoscope that had these powerful vocational imperatives, and they almost always included a good chunk of the angular houses, but also part of the of the Caden house that comes before. Okay. So, you know, the first 20 degrees of the first house, that's powerfully vocational, but then 10 degrees behind it in the 12th is also an area of, of significant influence. Okay. So it would be the same thing here, you know. Um, so that's why even though we might think that anything in the 12th would be unavailable. It yeah. really doesn't prove to be that, you know? Yeah. I mean, to me, it also, uh, in the case of planet that's in the 12th house is unfinished business, obviously from a previous life. Uh, sure. yeah. I remember meeting a, um, somebody online when I was writing my Titanic book who had Venus in the 12th at 21 Aries, which is right at that point in the, astro the astrological chart of the Titanic. And she had, um, she evidently, she said she drowned um, and was hit on the head. And I said, yeah, that's true because of Venus and Aries, boom, on the head. Somebody yeah, hit her on sure. the head. So she figured that she, it, she had a, a backpack that said, I lived on the Titanic in a previous life or something written on it. You know, okay. yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> she was really in, uh, very, very interested in that time period and the Titanic itself. And I found yeah. that, yes, it was a previous life that drew her to it. So it was something yeah. that she was drawn to from a very early kid. So, yeah, I mean, that 12th house does make sense. You know, it's it's a house that is just packed with imp impact and meaning. But half yeah. the time we don't even look at it because it's, yeah. like I said, it's an afterthought. Like, well, it's a, yeah. it's your spiritual house and there's nothing in there. So you don't have to do anything with that. Well, no, <laughs> that's not exactly yeah, but but from another perspective, of course, this is yeah. where planets rise. This is where planets, at least in theory, become visible. So oh, right. we you, you can look at it both ways, I think, depending on the context. That's you know, a good point. Um, a I mean, Jupiter, point. you know, in Mar in Brahms's chart is just about to rise. Yes. You know, Pluto, is, Pluto has risen already. So obviously we can't see Pluto when it rises, but nevertheless, yeah. it's still there. <clears throat> you know, I so, wonder. Yeah, it's if, interesting. I wonder if he was kind of klutzy. Yeah. Because... Jupiter on the on the ascendant, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. and Sag yeah. Moon, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that that could certainly be, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he perhaps a bumbling sort of way he moved, you know, because as yeah. he got bigger, he seemed to get bigger, you know. Yeah. And it's very common to see Jupiter or the ascendant Sagittarius, somebody who puts on weight later on life, you know, to actually. Well, it's interesting, too, of course, because ultimately it was liver cancer that killed him, same as his father, I believe, if I wow. remember correctly. And yeah. uh, so that Jupiter on the conjunct, the ascendant, indicates a certain vulnerability to us. That's um, right. And that, uh, you know, that not out of bounds Neptune, but, you know, that stationary Neptune yeah. with Venus, one wonders what I have really read anything about his personal appetites. But uh, clearly, if he put on weight, he probably enjoyed food. He probably I was drank a fair amount of beer yeah, I would I imagine mean, and uh well, maybe yeah. smoke cigars too as well I, that I, I couldn't find out but well uh, he's Taurus he loves rich food he had to have yeah. loved it you know and yeah. um so and he never by the way he 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 always went for the most cheapest meals he could buy he never went for expensive stuff but he loved it oh. but he was that's, that's Taurus too and Saturn retrograde yeah. you yeah. know it's yeah. also too yeah. not wanting to spend the money but it's an interesting mix of characters all in one person, you know, yeah. and I just find them fascinating. So, you know what? We're done with time here. Oh, okay. Oh, well. darn. <laughs> <laughs> We've got three minutes left here and I still have to do some, some things here, but thank you very much, my dear, for being on the show today and talking about oh, Brahms. Yeah. Always enjoyable. Always enjoyable. I'm so glad you like it, and we love having you here. So, yeah. and you're so knowledgeable at, at you know the musician, and then also the astrology with it. To, well, you yeah. know, as I always said, you know, music, music and astrology go hand in hand. 
you know, I yeah, started off as harmonic, a mus- yeah. yeah, they are. And I started yeah. off as a musician and ended up this. So kind of in the same sentence. Me you know. too. Me too. Me three. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so thank you again. And we're going to have you on again soon. We'll figure out who the next composer will be. And by the way, if anybody is interested and want to hear something about your favorite composer, you can contact me at, um, let's see. Oh, Titanic Astrology at AOL.com. You can write me an email and tell me that because we would like to know what you'd like to hear because we'd like, we're picking our favorites here, but we'd like to know what you want to do too. So thank you again, sir. We appreciate You're very welcome, it. My dear. Awesome. Enjoy awesome. the early days of autumn out there in the. It is beautiful. E- in yeah. Ecotopia. And, yes, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I'll look forward to our next chat. Okay. Sounds wonderful. Thank you, sir. Okay. Bye bye. Okay, now, um, Jupiter Experience coming up. This coming Tuesday. Now, we didn't have it last Tuesday because the restaurant wanted to close to give their restaurant workers a day off because there's so few people working there that they all have to cover all these shifts. So we were closed last week, so we didn't have it. But this week, we're going to have on Wanda Buckner, who is um, a, you know Wanda Buckner, don't you? (laughs) Nathan, yes, you do. Yeah, Nathan, yeah, you went, huh? One, one minute. Okay. Wanda Buckner will be on. She's going to be talking about pets in the pandemic, PNP. So, anyway, we're going to be talking about that. And that starts at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night at Burr's Restaurant in Lakewood at 6151 Silicon Boulevard, Southwest. And if you have any con- you know, questions about this, you can contact me at 206 816 for more information. Also, we have, um, I do the horoscope for KKNW's website that's uploaded every Monday at about noon, and I do it every week. So, and then we have, I, you can get a hold of me at EileenGrimes.com, JupiterRisingShow at AOL.com, and Michelangelo can be reached at HTTP, www.MichelangeloMedicalAstrology.us. And I think we're about ready to get off the air. Next week is Jackie Slevin. She's going to be on. We're going to talk about the retrograde planets coming up next month. And October 9th, we have Susan Bergstrom to come on and talk about Medicare. So that's it for us, kids. We've had fun today with Brahms, and we will see you all next week on the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. Goodbye. Goodbye.